Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at ColleenPilar.com. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home. My guest today is Mikkel Becker, who is the lead animal trainer of Fear Free Pets. And we got deep into conversation before we even hit record. And I said, we have to stop talking and hit record because there were just so many things that were coming up that were really resonating. So welcome, welcome, Mikkel. I'm glad you're here. Oh, so excited to be here, Colleen. So you're the lead animal trainer of Fear Free Pets, which is a big job and not a common job. Not too many people can say that that's what they do. I'm curious if you can share with us the path of you at 10 to you now. How did it happen? Were you always hoping to be an animal trainer? And obviously, Fear Free Pets didn't exist when you were 10. So what was the trajectory you imagined for your life? Gosh, I've always loved animals. So I saw myself when I was really young being either an animal trainer, which I thought horse trainer or whale trainer, or I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. And specifically, I wanted to be the next Diane Sawyer. Like I just, I just remember watching the news one day when I was playing, I was really little and I was like, gosh, that's what I want to do. And it's interesting because it's like, I've, I've heard before that anything that you do as play when you're younger, a lot of times that's going to be something that you're going to be good at or interested in something related to that as an adult. And I feel like I've really gotten the best of both worlds because once I got into broadcast journalism, which is what I went to college for, I ended up realizing, gosh, I don't get to have my own voice. I don't get to have fun doing this. Like it wasn't fun, like how we would play and make silly videos and have our own personality. It was just so much more regimented and I'm definitely more of a free spirit kind of person. So that was a little hard for me. And I thought, gosh, I don't know if I want to do that. And so I ended up getting a degree in intercultural communication, just super interested. I I was three three credits away from broadcast journalism, but I was like, you know, I just don't really know if that's for me. And and actually my, uh, so Diane Sawyer was like my hero, like just loved her so much. And my dad used to be the vet on Good Morning America. So we kind of grew up going to see her from when we were young. And so she kind of was like, like, you know, saw us grow up and she's the one that finally, finally encouraged me to do something else, which was so shocking at the time, but also like, wow, thank God that she did. And, you know, and it happened because I had her sign the shirt for me that said the next Diane Sawyer. And she like signed it, you know, aim higher, you'll be the best love Diane. And I was like, Oh, that's, you know, meant so much to me. And we went to Good Morning America had their 30th anniversary party. And and there were people like Larry King was there and Barbara Walters and all of these different stars. So my dad and I are like, you know, just watching all these people come in and 
And it was so crazy, but cool. Cause right away, Diane comes in the room and it's just, you know, she, she more than anyone else, my total hero. And I can't believe it because right away before anybody else, she came right up to my dad and I, and the day before is when she had signed that shirt for me. And she just sat down at the bar next to us. And she's like, you know, Mikel, I've been thinking, and she's like, I just, you know, this, this just isn't for you. You know, this is doggy dog. It's cutthroat. People have razor blades in their pockets. Like it's a tough field and you're just too nice. You're too nice of a person. And I, I don't want this for you. You need to do something else. Think of something else. And, and I was like, Oh, wow. Like that. I don't know. It just, it really, I kind of was in disbelief, but it, it just coincided with so many other things. And so I really appreciate that coming from her because I mean, yeah. truly that's who I wanted to be. And you know, to just know that maybe that, that, you know, to actually finally look at it and be like, well, maybe this isn't the right field for me. And, you know, and I think my inner voice had been telling me that somewhat before, but I wasn't that good at listening to my inner voice at the time. So coming from her, it meant a lot more for sure. And mm -hmm. so then my, my dad at the time too was like, you know, Mikkel, you should think about doing something with animals. Like you've always loved animals, training animals. Like I grew up uh, working with my horses or with dogs and just for fun, but he's like, you should do that as a career. So then lo and behold, I end up going to the San Francisco SPCA dog training Academy with Gene Donaldson. And at the time I was in an emotionally abusive relationship. Um, it was abusive in quite a few different ways, but it was for me being able to have that six weeks down there and just being so just away from that. And then also like just seeing like, wow, I have talents. Like this is something mm -hmm. I'm passionate about. So like get my voice back and to find this reunite with this love of animals. Like it was just the most amazing gift I could have ever gotten. And I think for me, that was really a huge changing point and turning point for me and happened to be pregnant at the time too. Um, so, you know, I have my Lots daughter's of big now. changes. <laughs> yes, it was a lot of changes kind of all all together. And I think it, it kind of, I mean, it really truly did come about at the right time because that helped me to gain confidence. And I think for my daughter at that time, I, I you know, I grew up with a great family, but for different reasons, you know, I, I had, was kind of at a very low point in my life at that time, like, because um, I had gotten out of a sorority that was kind of in its own way, um, had some abusive tendencies and had been shut down. So going through that and then going right out of that into abusive marriage. And, um, you know, I just, I've had such low self-esteem. And so for me, like having Reagan, um, the day she was born was truly the best day of my life. And I, but I never saw myself as being a mom before. Like I, I was never one of those that played with dolls ever in my life. Like, I always played with animals and <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I don't relate to this, but you know, as soon as I saw her, I was like, wow, everything changed. And so it wasn't, it was no longer just about protecting myself, which, which that was kind of low on my priority list and my abilities. I think at the time it was now like, I'm protecting this person that I love so much more than anything in the whole world. And so that, that also helped me, I think, to get out of that situation and then to really move forward with a, a bigger, better career. And so yeah, it was like rock bottom to kind of reaching that place where I'm like, gosh, things really need to change. And so that really did. It started me on this whole new tra trajectory in life that ended up being the, the biggest blessing. That is an incredible story. It, well, first off, I'm going to ask you, tell me in one minute before I tie this back together, but um you reference your dad, which we hadn't referenced. So some mm -hmm. people might not know who your dad is, but very few of us got career advice from Diane Sawyer. Um, and 
for her to tell you that what you were pursuing, the thing that she was really at the peak of, mm-hmm. didn't feel right or true to her for you. And, you know, mm-hmm. not that she wouldn't support you if you chose to do it, but that yeah. think long and hard about this yeah. path. There's something really powerful in that. Um, but the but the later through lines of where you actually found yourself sort of fish out of water six weeks in San Francisco in this dog training academy that allowed you time and space to figure out who Mikkel was. What what does Mikkel mm-hmm. want? What's important to Mikkel as opposed to that trajectory of life and school and what what's your, you know, what are you going to major in? And there you were making shifts right then, three credits away from one degree and switching to another and trying to find it. There's so many little pivotal moments in your life that are really powerful, important that you took action on, that you um, capitalized on. So thank you for sharing all of those. And then now can you briefly tell people who your dad is? Because that apparently plays a role here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My dad is Dr. Marty Becker, and he's a veterinarian. And I grew up with him when I was young. He had numerous practices around Southern Idaho and in Utah. And then he ended up doing more of the media side of veterinary medicine. So Mm -hmm. he wrote some of the chicken soup for the soul books is where he really started doing some of the, the bigger books, I would say, and that kind of got him into Good Morning America and some of those other things and uh, Dr. Ross show. And, and then my dad today is the founder of Fear Free. And so I remember the first day when he came back from this talk with Karen overall, and he was just a changed man where he had heard her talk about how fear is the worst thing a a social species can experience and it causes permanent damage to the brain. And he's like, I can't unsee now what I see. And now that I know I, this has to change. We, we are causing irreparable damage, emotional damage to these pets during the delivery of physical care. And that can't be the case anymore. And so he really dropped everything else. And his sole focus has been fear free ever since. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And now we don't want to talk about him because he's not our guest today. You are. Um, but <laughs> since since you referred to him and since he is so well-known, some oh, of the yeah. people will make a connection here that they might not have made before. So I appreciate you um, allowing that to occur. The piece about fear being so important is really true. Like almost everything we don't do in life, we don't do because we're afraid, you know, the things yeah. that we're like, oh, I wish I could, but I can't. It's it's all fear-based and, and fear does change the brain. And you even mm-hmm. said it like you were in an, an, an abusive relationship and you needed some time and space and distance to feel safe, to allow yourself to actually get perspective and to to be safe, to see what was actually happening in a way that mattered. So the whole fear-free concept is really, really important and also challenging and difficult because, of course, life does have good and bad and different events will affect different individuals in unique ways. So what do you think is the most important thing for you as the lead trainer and fear-free pets in in terms of communicating 
why this matters so much, why it matters so much that we do what we can as often as we can in as many ways as we can to reduce the level of fear that the animals are experiencing and that the humans with them are experiencing. You know, I think I think with everything, it's like we can't take either physical health or emotional health as as one as two different things. They are so intertwined and so intricately linked. And so when we're thinking about caring for a pet's physical health, we actually need to be caring for their emotional health or we aren't doing a good job of, of providing for them physically. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's all about, you know, reducing that fear so that way we can make that physical care easier for them, but also a better quality of care too. Because when the pet's afraid, it's really hard to go in there and actually provide good care. And it's also also a physical risk to us and to the pet. So if the pet bites, it, it becomes more of a risk. It becomes harder to deliver that physical care. And also, I think it goes back to the, the reason why we get into the pet industry in the first place, which is wanting to work with animals because we love them. We enjoy them. And it really sucks to have pets come in and be afraid of us and to be upset. Like it's such a different feeling when you can actually have that emotional connection with the pet when you're training them and and you're training them. Like it's like that ongoing interaction because training happens, you know, as we all know, you know, it doesn't take a formal training session. It's happening all of the time. And so developing that relationship, teaching them these cooperative care behaviors are going to help that pet throughout their entire life and help them in home with their family. So I think it's really connecting back to that, that reason why we go into, into working with pets in the first place. It really does. And actually is making me think of my own, um, my own Diane Slayer moment, which was with a veterinarian. When I was 16 years old, I was volunteering in his practice. And one day after he let me assist in a a neutering surgery and did a couple of other things. He must have just been having a hard day, but we're having a conversation. And he told me that he didn't really think that veterinary medicine was the field for me. And then he was like, mm-hmm. you know, the animals hate me. And, you know, just the stress and the fear that the animals have coming in to see him every time. And he was like, you have to, you have to know that you have to know that they're not going to mm-hmm. like you. And I probably wouldn't have made it all the way through vet school anyway, but that was a turning point moment for me where I was like, oh, I don't, I don't actually want a career where these animals that I love so much fear me. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'd had that experience with my own dogs where like they really didn't want to go to the vet. And so this very kind man who I liked so much, I thought he was an awesome vet. My dog didn't agree. She didn't like him. Um, but of course, we didn't have the fear-free knowledge back then that we have now. Um, but it, it was fear. Like fear played a role yeah. in how the animals responded to him and how he shared that with me. And that was a turning point for me. I was not going to become a veterinarian because I didn't want a career where I was helping someone I loved so much. And yet they didn't like me because I was scary. And so training wound up being a better fit, obviously, for me, mm-hmm. but the information being shared now in in ways of making health visits less stressful, it's just absolutely vital that um, that we shift some of this because it makes the experience better for the team at the hospital and it makes it so much better for the pets. And 
and it makes it more likely that they're getting healthcare because of course so many cats never see a vet at all because it's so distressing to them that the people are like, well, you know, nobody cares if she gets her vaccines, she doesn't go out anyway. So they're in tremendous distress by the time they're finally seen that it can be mm-hmm. really traumatic. So these concepts of of recognizing that fear as a motivating force matter. And yet, I'm going to ask you this question, but then I, want, I really want to go back to you. But because fear-free as a theme relates so much to all of the work that that I do as well, um, I'm going to ask this. And then I really do want to talk to Mikkel and not talk just about. <laughs> oh, no, but, I love this. I can talk fear-free all day. So. <laughs> It's this idea of, oh, that we need to get it done. Like we just need to do what we need Mm -hmm. to do to get it done because it's important that this wound be treated or that this this treatment happen, um, that it's worth it to have a scary incident. And, And I would always tell my clients that there's a difference between emergencies and training, you know? So like when your dog is loose, that's not really when we're practicing recalls. That's when we're like, oh no, we do what we need to do. But when veterinary visits are, are sort of treated as like, we just got to get through this. What's the downside of that? Because there are many people who argue that, that that is what has to be done and that it is unrealistic Mm -hmm. to do something different. When you say that, like the thought that always runs through my head is just get it done doesn't work in the long run, because what's going to happen is you are just exacerbating that underlying fear, anxiety and stress and potential pain, which pain also is going to increase that that future avoidance. It creates that that automatically creates fear, anxiety and stress in and of itself. And so, you know, we are going to make that situation so much harder to provide for in the future. And you also don't know what associations are being made at that time either. So a lot of times, I mean, I've had dogs in classes where I just pull out a stethoscope and immediately the dog goes from like whole body wiggles to (laughs) teeth bare, they're growling, ears back, tail down, stiff, and it's literally the stethoscope or you, you approach a dog in scrubs versus normal clothing. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, I really aim to incorporate all of that into puppy classes as much as possible. And even just in normal training situations, a lot of times I'll just be wearing my my scrubs because I think it's really good to have those positive associations with those things that they're going to see. And but a, a lot of times it, and they can generalize it. So it can just become all, all of a sudden the sphere of other people, of new people or being handled in general. And so you make that care so much worse for that pet ever coming back. And, you know, good luck being able to perform care in a safe way. And a lot of times, like when that is the approach, you know, it's going to be difficult to even get a muzzle on that dog. Cause a lot of times people are, you know, it's like adding on more restraints that pilotex my dad always talks about, or, yeah. you know, um, adding in that muzzle. And so it's like the cue of people muzzle automatically like go into that, that really high, high stress state, which can mean, uh, it's going to be a lot more dangerous. And so one, one thing that's actually been really cool recently is looking more at fear free and some of the positive effects of it. And it has, in different ways, I think it was through VCA was the recent one that they looked at, but it decreased the rate of injury by quite a bit. So um, just like, so insurance wise, like it's actually a wiser way to practice because you're going to have fewer workers comp claims. You're going to have, you know, 
uh, less need to have more people because a lot of times with fear free, less is more. So mm-hmm. we don't need a ton of people in the exam room. Just give it a tiny bit of time. And that tiny bit of time literally can be the difference of like one second versus 30 seconds. And that's going to make all the difference and all the difference in the pet coming in and being so much easier to handle. And we aren't having to use as much sedation or these really, you know, higher doses of medications. A lot of times we can use lower doses of things. So in general, it's just better medicine and you're actually getting a more accurate reading of the pets. You're getting a more accurate heart rate temperature. Those things that in the past were just so off the charts that they really weren't even reliable predictors of anything. You know, now it's actually a lot more accurate. So there are just so many tremendous benefits of it that I, I really can't you know, explain enough just how, how much of a, a believer I am in it. Yeah. Well, you're preaching to the choir here with me. So I'm, I'm in complete agreement. <laughs> and I also understand that, you know, it can be frustrating to have somebody from outside a situation come in and go, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Which I don't want to, to do that with any, with anyone mm-hmm. who's, who's trying to learn to, add in more fear-free practices into any of their interactions with animals. Mm-hmm. Um, we recognize that you've done what you've done because it's what you knew and it worked. Mm-hmm. And as we learn more and we practice them and we use things and we evolve, we get better. And, you know, we're not all perfect at it. Like I've, I've been working with my dog on nail stuff. I adopted her with really mm-hmm. long nails and she's not a fan of having that done. And we've been desensitizing and it's been kind of slow going. Part of it's slow going is that I haven't really rushed her. And part of it's that I haven't been super motivated because yuck, nails. Mm-hmm. And also it's important. So we're doing it and we're just going along and it's happening yeah. and and that and that matters. So doing a little bit not as well as perfect is better than not doing anything. And so I've had to yeah. remind myself of that that you know we are doing our own little fear-free nail stuff and have been for I guess a little over a year, but for the first year I had all right, it just kept going. This isn't this is terrible. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? But just mm-hmm. flapping because I didn't want to scare her and put her into a terrible situation, but she also wasn't super thrilled with me doing it. And then you kind of go, well, you're a trainer. You should be able to do that. Yeah. Except for there were all sorts of reasons why I didn't want to. (laughs) Uh, It was hard. It was stressful for both of us. I get it. (laughs) No, I completely get that. No, as you're saying that, that that was totally me with nail trims. I used to hate, hate giving nail trims. Like hated it. It was like bane of my existence. Like I hated doing that. And it was interesting because like when I first got into the the training industry, I also was doing some shadowing and some some work as a veterinary assistant, like just learning, you know, the ropes of like mm-hmm. actually working hands on and doing a lot of this. And so when I was first in that, that was far before fear free. I don't mm-hmm. know what, you know, 14, 15 years ago, probably um, something like that. And I just, I mean, the way I was learning was not at all fear free. That was, you know, back in the day where they would, you, I was taught to lie the dog in lateral recumbency on their side to trim their nails. But then I'm like, but wait, we can do this a different way. So like I was starting to, you know, meet with clients for dog training, which was totally different than what I was being taught to do on the tech side. And so, I mean, I, I can totally relate because I've been there and I know the pressure and I know that the time constraints that you're under and just, there's so it's just never ending. There's just so much emotional and physical demand on you in the veterinary industry. But what I've really learned through fear free and, you know, from doing it the other way to start off with. And then now like 
really helping to embrace fear free and, and really, you know, doing what I did in training, but actually having that be the way to do it with pets and in every aspect of their care. Man, it makes such a big difference. And just recognizing that, hey, this is hard. This isn't fun. Like, how can I make this more relaxing for myself? How can I put myself in a better state? And like for nail trims, when I first started, like Indiana Bones right here on my lap, like he loves nail trims now, but he was really difficult to work with. And when I first started, because some pets are just more sensitive in general. And I think especially more sensitive on their paws. And just like mm -hmm. people, dogs can have ticklish paws. It can be, it can be super, super sensitive. They have so many uh, so much sensory stuff going on there. It's just so, you know, really ticklish and, you know, it, you know, little things can hurt a lot more too. So, you know, I think being aware of the dog that you have and then setting yourself up for success, like having your nail trim tools and your really tasty treats right there where you watch TV at night, or we're going to just work on this for 30 seconds before mealtime. Like, I did the same thing for brushing the dog's teeth too. And same thing with like both Otis and Nova. They both came to me as rescues who really hate nails being worked with, hated anything with their mouth, lots of handling stuff. And so just trying to make it easy on yourself, because I think mm -hmm. if you have it in your mind, like I have to do this big training session here. This is what I, it's so daunting. You just, I don't know, at least when it's me, yeah. I don't ever get around to it. So yeah, trying to make it practical and make it easy and kind of set up the space so that we everything's just right there when you get around to it. So it puts less pressure on you too, I think, which ultimately kind of puts a lot less pressure on your pet. Yeah. And then it's a win all the way around because you're more likely to yes. do it and they're more likely to be happy with it. And you're more likely to be happy with it. And then when they need to go to the vet, it's easier. So apparently my cat has decided to join us here in the middle too. Hopefully she will Aww. be quiet. We'll see. We'll see how that Beautiful. goes. He often has opinions she likes to share. Um, so we had talked earlier, I was teasing you that you have more acronyms after your name than anyone known, <laughs> anyone else. Um, and, <laughs> and you and I shared that we both have a love of learning. And yes. so I'd like you to just, if you would share a little bit about how you feel about all those letters after your name. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, right, right before the call, I was like, oh, wait, I forgot to send you my acronyms. Like, and I was like, oh, I guess I should. And so I'm like, well, if you want to pull any, but you don't have to. And, uh, but I would have never said that in the past. In the past, I would have been like, oh my God, I need those things behind my name because that way people know, like, you know, I do have an education in this and I do have some experience or I know what I'm talking about. And I oh, God, I just, you know, it, thank God I'm just in a better place now. Like, so there's part of me that, that got those acronyms because I love learning. But there's also that part of me that got those acronyms and went through those training schools because I truly was very insecure and didn't feel secure in who I was. Or like, I, I always envied those people that like could just speak so confidently and they just always had the right answer. And I'm like, mm -hmm. how are they like that? Like, I want to be like that. And so I think in some ways I felt like maybe I could feel more secure if I had this training or I had that. And, you know, it's really been something I've come to within myself to where now I'm like, I don't, I don't need that anymore. Like I feel really comfortable and confident with who I am. And I love having that because I've been able to learn so much, but it's a, it's a different feeling for me today than it was back in the day when I felt like I had to have that in order to feel valuable or to feel like I was worth hearing. And I think too, for me, because of my dad being 
who he is. I think sometimes people would be, think, okay, Mikkel got this because of her dad, or like I would have people say that to me. And, you know, so for me, I think I felt extra pressure in some ways mm-hmm. of like, you know, I really need to know what I'm talking about. And, but, you know, the, the best thing that I've really learned through these years is like, just get putting less pressure on myself. I'm that type of person that like puts so much pressure on me to do everything well and to do everything right. And like, I don't think that that's a good headspace to be in, not a good emotional space. So, like when we think about like that feeling, like, you know, with fear free, we want a fear free experience to create a different feeling, this feeling of enjoyment and ease and like relaxation. You want to be there. You want to do this. This is fun. Like you, you feel relaxed and comfortable and you know, I think we create emotional spaces for ourselves in everything that we do, whether it's writing on the computer or we're working with a client or working with pets. Like, and so that's been something I've definitely been intentional about is creating a better emotional space for myself because you only have one life to live. And the way I honestly was living my life for a few years there probably wasn't the best way. And I learned a lot from it and I don't ever want to go back to that again. So I think giving myself freedom and grace is like very, very key. That's so beautiful. Thank you for saying that. And I think that that giving myself freedom and grace, those are words that I hear often from my clients that they want to find ways to give themselves grace. They want to find ways to give themselves permission to be different or to give themselves the freedom to do things differently. And um, I took the first CPDT exam, like 2001, I think it was, because I wanted some sort of way of knowing if maybe I knew enough, you know, like, cause back then there weren't really all of these programs. I knew about, um, I I think I knew about the San Francisco Academy for dog trainers back then, but of course I was on the East coast and it was far and expensive and I had kids, like I couldn't take six weeks Mm -hmm. ago. So I was cobbling it together with workshops and things like that. There was nothing like it is now. There were, there were no great resources of how to. So I wanted someone else to say, Colleen, you are good enough. Yeah. And I hoped that by getting that, I would believe. And I didn't, of course. So like so many, I kept signing up for an additional course or an additional program or additional thing because I I so desperately wanted to be good at my work because I cared so much about it. I think that's really, really common among pet professionals. There's a big difference, though, in what you said about to pursue learning because you want to learn more and you are enlivened by it and energized Mm -hmm. by it and want to have more to offer. That's one thing. To do it because you're not quite sure you know enough or good enough or that's another. And those are emotional spaces, just like you said. There are the emotions behind those are very, very different. So by changing a relationship with ourselves, we shift that. And that's where the real magic of, I don't know, growing up occurs. Mm-hmm. That when we can give ourselves some freedom and grace and recognize, I'm actually pretty good at what I do. And I'd like to learn more about this. So that those letters behind your name are are really just indicators of things you've enjoyed learning and not ways that you were trying to, to be something that you weren't. You've always been amazing and you're amazing and you know some things and there are other things you'd like to know. But the baseline is you've been enough since day one. 
as have all of my clients, as have all of the people who are listening to this. You're enough right now and you'd like to learn more. Awesome. What's the emotional state you want to be in as you're learning? Um, And I think that's super powerful. And it actually ties so beautifully into the quote that I asked you to share. So Mm. you shared this beautiful quote with me. I think that the proper pronunciation is Ananin. Is that how we say this? Ananin. Um, So here's the quote. And the day came when the risk to remain tight in in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. If you don't mind, I'd like to just stop and say that again because I stuttered through it. And the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. So, Mikkel, those words came into your life at some point and they meant something to you and you shared them with me today. What do they mean to you? What's important about this? It just touches me at such a heart level. Like I can just, I remember that feeling that I had. And I, the, the time that that quote came into my life was right when my, I was pregnant uh, in the time when my, my daughter was just born and I'd gone through the dog training school. I was starting to make a different career. And I, I felt like with that husband, and I also was in another abusive relationship after that. Um, and, and this also applied then too. So it was one of those quotes that came back to me during that time as well, where I felt like in order to fit in to those situations, I would have to make myself small. I would have to quiet myself. And I realized like that is so painful. I'm like literally killing myself. I'm dying inside. And, you know, and and they want me to stay small. They want me to be in this little box, but that's not who I am. This is so far from the person that I am. And so I realized like I'm doing myself a disservice. Like I have to take this risk to really, truly believe myself, believe my own feelings, because in those states mm-hmm. you get to where you like, honestly, just believe like, did that really happen? Can I believe myself? And, and I was like, yeah, I actually can. And I, I, I literally at that time in my life, I, everything was stripped away to the point where I didn't get to listen to my own music. I didn't, all of these things that I liked and I enjoyed, it was all taken away. And so when I started to blossom, you know, I'm bringing back the music that I like, I'm starting to learn what else do I like, like all of these things that like really had been so controlled. And so for me, that that's a, a that freedom, uh, that word free, that's a, a word I have tattooed on, on one of my wrists is free. And it's a core word for me, because I, I think that that freedom and just being able to, to not to be big, to give yourself permission to be big, which, you know, my personality is I'm kind of goofy and funny and like silly, and I'm not like, the cool girl, and I've never been the the coolest girl or the girl that you know, that's, I'm not the the typical, uh, what is Reagan call it, um, basic white girl, like, like, just the basic <laughs> kind of, you know, that's not me. Like, I just I love being funny and doing pranks. And like, you know, and I say stuff that's kind of goofy sometimes. And I've also been in the pits. And I haven't always, you know, had like that typical life. Like, I don't like saying that I've been twice divorced. But hey, at the same time, like, man, I am so happy with who I am today that I would go back through that stuff because, 
you know, not that I'd want to, but I am so grateful that I did go through that because it truly shaped me into this person that I am. And I feel like I have blossomed and I feel like I'm still blossoming. And I think that's the part with like, you know, whether it's education or work or anything like that, it's like being able to live in that free space and being able to pay attention to those emotions. I want to, you know, whether it's in relationships with friends, family, anything, like I, I feel like I've come such a long ways in that. And, you know, I can look at that person before that was so tightly held and constrained in that bud and just, you know, see like she had all all that she needed all along, but it's just not, I didn't have that. I hadn't given myself permission to blossom. And even back then, so when we talk about, you're talking about like giving yourself permission at times. And I actually literally at that time, because I was kind of like, I mean, it's so, it's hard to believe now because I love doing video on it and it just feels so natural and fun. But I had a time where you know, when one area of my life, like feeling so insecure and down in relationships, when I was feeling down there, it would affect my video work. And so there were times like where I was more inhibited and I wasn't like free and I wasn't, you know, my best self and showing up as my best self on camera even. And so I literally at that time started to write myself permission notes and it would be like, Mikkel Becker has permission to be her authentic self, to be funny, to be whatever it was literally writing that down and you know that like those little steps that have helped me to get to where now it just feels natural and it's a free thing where I don't even really have to think about it because I am in that better headspace and way better emotional space. Yeah. I've used permission slips with clients before and in in workshops even. I even had cards at one workshop where I had like business cards printed out and like I get myself permission to kind of thing. And there was one that I can't remember what it says now, but there was one that I found under a chair after while I was cleaning up after and someone had written something that that they had given themselves permission to do. And I was sorry that they didn't have it in their bag because it was something I very much wished for them to. But I knew the act of writing out, give myself permission to do this. Um, it's an emotional thing and it's uh, it changes mm-hmm. something. It's It's a declaration. This is this is what I want. This is how I want to be. This is how I want to feel. This is what I'm moving toward. Um, as opposed to that away of like, I don't want to feel, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, what do you want? And, and tuning into that and, and, and choosing it and having that freedom and grace that you said to choose, what do you want? It's so beautiful. And that quote, I think, really does um, illustrate the fact that there's a cost both ways. So that sometimes when we're saying like, I'm afraid to do something, okay, you're afraid, but there's a cost of staying here and you're afraid to bloom and there's a cost of blooming. Okay. But the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom and the payoff for blossoming is just phenomenal. So I'm really grateful to you, Mikkel, because I think this is super important and also very, very personal. So thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. that. Like, I think that the fear-free messaging is really important. And I think most people understand that. But by sharing some of your personal stories, I think you put a human element to all of the reasons we're doing the work for the animals and for ourselves, why we care so much about this work, why we care so much about the human clients and the animal clients, and why we as individuals sometimes feel like maybe we're not enough. Um, And 
what it needs to take for us to say, I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm going to choose to blossom. Um, so thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it touches my heart so much and yeah, it gets me emotional. And it, it also makes me think of something and I don't know, it, it, can we do an exercise? This is an exercise that really helped me back in the day. Sure. So, okay. So we have three things. So you can write it down or you can just kind of think it out in your head. So the first question is like, who did you want to be? So when you were younger or like that, that self, you know, the college self or whatever time, like who did you want to be or who did you feel like you needed to be? And it's the first question. The second question is who did you feel like you became? And then the third question is who are you really? Ooh, I love that. And for me, when I went through this, I just saw something actually on, on a TV show that, that actually made me think of these questions. And I went through it myself and I was like, wow, this is like, you know, just, it was so powerful for me. So I, I hope it can bring some, just enlightenment and, and also just courage in for everyone, like in your own path going forward. But like, for me, the, the first question, who did I feel like I had to be, or, or who did I want to be? I wanted to be perfect. Like, and that was my my straight A self, like growing up, like where my dad literally, my dad is amazing. We're super close, but my dad, like I got, I came home one time with all A's and one A minus. And my dad's like, what went wrong, Kel? Do we mm -hmm. need to call your teacher? And I was <laughs> like, okay. Like, I mean, so yeah, I definitely like had a yep. lot of pressure on myself and, um, and a lot of that was self-imposed as well. So that feeling to be, per I need to be perfect. So that was my first word. My my second word is like, who did I feel like I became? And I felt like a failure, you know, honestly, because like I, uh, the the me, the the life I had chosen for myself where I was going to have this great husband who just loved me. I was going to potentially have two kids and I'm just going to have this great career. I was going to be that, that Diane Sawyer. And here I am. I'm not even in broadcast journalism. I've had these awful relationships where people have really mistreated me and haven't, you know, and I, I went in with the promise of them going to be that Prince Charming and they promised all that stuff, but lo and behold, you know, it's nothing like that. And then I'm trapped. So I felt, you know, in so many ways like a failure. And then the third one, like, you know, who am I really like for me free, like that word free, just like, and that really is who I am. And so like, even today, like I try and, and, and remember that because even today, sometimes there'll be times like when I get down on myself or I implode on myself. And that's kind of my, my way of like dealing with stress is like, rather than getting mad at other people, I get hard on myself. And then I start to kind of go inward. And I'm like, okay, I'm going into that. I, I wanted to be perfect. I wasn't being perfect. And so then I go into that failure mode. And then that self criticism that, you know, where I'm mean to myself. And then I'm like, no, like, no, like, I don't need to be perfect. Failure is not who I am. That's never been who I am. Who am I really? I'm free. Like that is who I am at my core. And so it just helps me a lot like in terms of just remembering who I am and living from that place rather than those other places that were really never even meant for me in the first place. Yeah. And that for any number of reasons, the little one inside you decided things about herself or the world that, that were based on inaccurate or incomplete information. And you felt, you felt what you felt. And now you have a bigger and broader view and can see that, that, that wasn't the reality. It wasn't uh, the experience. 
Thank you. Thank you. I love that. So if people wanted to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? So you can find more about Fear Free at fearfreehappyhomes.com is our site that's free for any pet owner, guardian, pet professional, and fearfreepets.com for looking at Fear Free certification, which uh, there are so many cool certification courses for veterinary professionals, groomers, trainers, boarding daycare, all kinds of different avenues you can look at. And you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram and at some point, I need to get into TikTok. I, I have that on my agenda, but haven't quite got there as of yet. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for coming today. I'm, I'm so grateful. This was a really important and powerful conversation, and I'm very, very grateful to you for sharing it with us. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for talking through that with me. It helps me to, like, it's so cool to be able to hear that back and to get a different perspective and to just realize, because I think sometimes we forget how far we've come. And, you know, we're in that better place. Like it does, it helps to to look back and not to get stuck in that, but to just gain perspective and kind of realize your own power. And like, wow, you know, because sometimes we forget, we forget where we were because it's so far away from who we are now. So it's very helpful to talk about that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's tremendous value in, in uh, just having a chance to hear your own thoughts out loud, you know, like, to learn what you actually think and that makes space for that. So I love a conversation like that. So I'm so thrilled that you dove in here with me today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Colleen. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com where you can be steady, be strong, and belong. long.